0: Thursday, May
1: 19th, 2022. This is your host, Mike Abadir, on the Mike Abadir Show. Hope everybody's having a tremendous, tremendous, wonderful sports week so far. I know I am. We've had great, epic NBA series thus far. We'll get to that in a minute. We're also going to be talking a little bit about the Preakness. And we're going to have a revisit from a long-time guest, but it's been a long time since he's joined, Pop DiBiase. So I'm excited for that. Excited to talk about Pop. He always brings it strong.
2: What's up? What's up? What's Here up? Can he is. you hear me, Mike? Here he yeah. is. Pop DiBiase himself joins us. Sorry and, to the uh, engineer I snuck through the back door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: See, that's that's live That's live radio for you, folks. You know, when, when, when Pop DiBiase is MacGyvering his way onto the show, and (laughs) as I speak his name, he arrives. So, my man, you haven't been on in a while. Tell the listeners, first of all, what you've been up to and how they can plug into everything that you're putting out there. I know that Horsin' Around had a little hiatus, uh, as well as your streaming show. Where are things at right now, and where can they catch up with you?
2: Well, the thing is, what I was doing was I was uh, pretty heavily involved in uh, the boxing world and everything like that. You know, working with uh, different clients and everything. As Mike knows, that we do other, business and, uh, other businesses outside of sports betting and things of that nature. And, you know, pretty much been in, a, uh, been in Vegas for the last few months doing a couple little things out there and everything like that. Involved in sports betting, boxing, things like that. And been able to go to a lot of fights over here in the last three months as well, too. So that's been pretty fun as well, too, uh, doing all that good stuff. But you guys can always find me on the Instagram at, uh, at dbicwave underscore. That's where a lot of my stuff is at right now. I've been doing talking tickets, trying to do it on a daily basis, but I'm doing talking tickets right now. We'll be bringing back horsing Around with Del. We'll be bringing back horsing Around very soon. And um, looks like primetime angles. looks like we'll be shooting for getting back uh, maybe uh, top, of july you know mid maybe mid-june things of that nature i just got to figure out find some time because i've just been traveling a lot over the last few months and everything like that but you know i've been able to still go ahead and tweet out my you know daily talking tickets and everything like that i might not be talking as much but you know pretty much i still am tweeting out the plays and everything like that and making sure that everybody's taken care of and getting their money and everything like that man in these uh, on these great sports uh uh that we all love to watch and bet on
1: now, speaking of which, I know that the sport maybe closest to your heart is the, is basketball, the NBA. Mm-hmm. Ha- have the playoffs gone the way that you thought it was going to go from the beginning of the playoff? I mean, I think that perhaps maybe the kind of like the the wise guys te- wise guy team could have been Dallas, but did you project that Luca would kind of take the national stage? in the in the manner that he has and that this team would advance this far how have the playoffs gone in your mind so far
2: well with Lucas playing style it was inevitable that this was going to happen it seems like every playoff he does something exciting you know they got put out in the first round against the uh, Clippers and everything like that but it was still an exciting series they come back around they had to play the Clippers again it was another exciting series but you know pretty much they didn't you know things didn't work out for him but then they come back around this year. They do the same exact thing, and then they get a good win over a Utah team that was very was beatable, in my opinion. But then the way that they handled Phoenix and went about that series, losing the first two games of that series, then coming back around and winning, then going ahead and winning the next of uh, what four out of uh, the next uh, four out of five out of that series. So that was absolutely incredible. You know, going back and seeing that this team came back and beat them 4-1 pretty much after, you know, going down 2 to 2 to 2 to zip You know, they had a little rough go about it in game one. Then they came back game two, were better. Then they were really good in Dallas. And, you know, they gave away that, uh, you know, that like significant game five in uh, Phoenix, and everybody's ready to write Dallas off. Dallas got themselves a significant win at home. Everybody had this feeling that Phoenix was going to go in there and, uh, you know, uh, Tear the lid off because Phoenix's best record in the NBA, blah 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 blah. But we all know this. This is what happens when you're a front runner, and um, you have players that are a little bit older that you're relying on to do, you know, things that they they can't do as well as they did possibly five years ago, maybe even a year ago. And then when you got guys who aren't used to winning. In a sense, like winning consistently, Uh, thinking of Aiden and Booker, the two stars of the team as well, too. Yeah, you got a good core of guys and you got a good coach. And, you know, Chris Paul has helped you get to where you needed to get to. But at the end of the day, though, these guys just haven't won enough in the NBA yet. And I think that Luca, with his experience being a pro ball player, not having to play in the college level, being playing pro ball since he was 16, he's been built for these type of moments. So that game seven, even though it got lopsided and everything, the mindset was already there with Luca and, and crew. Uh, to me, Dallas was going to win that game regardless by one or by 33 the way that they did. You know, because at the end of the day, I just felt like that Phoenix team was just defeated. And Chris Paul was getting way too much attention for not producing. And I think that you need to pay too much attention to a guy who's really supposed to just be a, a, a really a, a elite role player, in a sense. At the age Chris Paul is at now, he he's just there to help guide the young guys. and I think that Well, that well let me jump in for a quick Chris second. Paul. Let me Go jump
1: ahead. in for a quick second about Chris Paul. Because I've been saying since his maybe second or third year with the Clippers. So that's going back, what, maybe 10 years or something. Right. Um, you bet against him when the most is on the line. You know, he just, whether he's in a different stage of his career or not, guys like him and Harden, I've always been like bet against because they're going to take a lot of the money because of their name because they're great regular season players, but what it matters most, they have not proven to me that they could lead their team to the promised land. What are your thoughts on my takes about Chris Paul?
2: I think that you're absolutely right. I, I was trying to be, not be the big, Mike, you just went ahead and just kicked it off for me because I was never, I will always respect Chris Paul's game, but I never was the biggest fan of Chris Paul in New Orleans and la and houston i've always felt like chris has been did a little bit too much as a player i feel like he's always trying to be a player coach type of guy and i think that that in a sense is kind of rub teammates the wrong way as well too and then when it's time to play in a big pressure situation you over here overthinking everything you're trying to do everybody's job and it's just not working You know what I mean? And it's like you just need to go be the PG and go worry about winning the game. And I think that a lot of times that this is just has been, you know, Chris Paul overthinking in big situations, and it just winds up not working out in his favor. And that's what it is at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So that's how I feel when it comes down to, you know, dealing with Chris Paul and everything like that right now. So, um, you know, I think Chris Paul, as you said, Mike, I think he had a great point when you said that, when you're saying that, you know, Chris Paul is the type of guy that, you know, he just can't win in the big in the big moment. Yeah,
1: man. I mean, just that's the track record so far, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, some guys came out uh, and, and made some pretty strong statements against Chris Paul. Um, there might be some haters out there, but the reality of it is, The guys in every freaking state farm commercial over the last few years and gets a lot more publicity than maybe some deserving players at some point in time. If you can't advance in these series, especially in series where your team is the favorite, you know, it's not like they're the underdog every time, right? Some of those Clippers teams with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin and great supporting cast, Jamal Crawford, and I can go on and on and on you know there were series where they're up 3 to 1 and up going you know in in the close a close out game only to choke it and when you have that many of those in your resume uh that's definitely a knock against but let's let's kind of shift the focus a little bit because you know one of the things about this show that I love is that when you make a mistake you're always going to be corrected we don't have like PTI you know how at the end of their show they have like that Uh, what mistakes did we make, (laughs) you know, or Colin Cowherd has uh, what we got right, what we got wrong. You know, for me, it's off off the show, uh, errors and omissions. And I had said that the uh, Warriors in Phoenix were 1-3 in terms of their ranks in the uh, conference. Excuse me, 1-2, but they were actually 1-3. So apologies to Memphis for bypassing them as the number two seed Uh, That was the 1-3. So now we're left with a 3-4 in the West, Pop. Um, But we have the 1-2 confirmed in in the East. What are your thoughts about the Celtics' run thus far? not going to say that it's unexpected, but I think they've had to beat some pretty formidable foes to get to this point.
2: I think that they're just about on time, to be honest with you. This is probably one of the groups that – over the last 5 years with the great drafting that Danny Ainge did with this group they bring in uh their coach from the coach from Butler as well too to help out with uh the situation then moving him up to the top as well you know and it then bring in Udoka, who's a, a who's a, was a longtime NBA vet was a San Antonio Spur was under the you know the uh Greg Popovich regime it's just like the Celtics just do they're doing everything right even though they haven't won a title in the, last de- in the last 13 years, and still at the end of the day, what you see in the Celtics is something that's that's, that's going to be that they already built this and that Tatum and Brown are two exceptional players. Both of them were picked th- third overall back-to-back years. Boston was a playoff team as well, too. So the maturation of those players came right away because they had the right type of veterans, the right type of coaching staff, the right type of everything in place. And I just feel like Everything is right on time is these guys are about five, six years into their career. Uh, Tatum and Brown, they're very comfortable on who they are. And that's has been the biggest thing for the Celtics. And I think the X factor for things is is guys like Marcus Smart, who's all around everything player who plays great defense as well, too. Also, the defensive player of the year. And he is the vocal leader of that team as well. So that works out very well that they've had all these guys that have always been Boston guys. They don't have guys coming uh, from—I played for six other teams before I got here. It's that they got what you said on your tweet. They got the Celtic pride, and they got these guys that have stuck together. Now, they might not win as consistently as Bird and Russell and those guys did get into the finals every single year damn near. But they are making it to where they can't possibly get to the finals. And they've always been an attractive destination for any basketball player just simply because they're like the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox. You just start seeing allure of things and you say, damn, you just start thinking about the history, the titles, all those highlights and stuff. And Boston is, is just as attractive as a place to go to as the New York, as, New, as the Knicks, as the Lakers you know, and uh, now is becoming Miami a bit because people like going down to Miami and not spending none of that state tax. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the Celtics have, were are primed for this. They got the right players for this situation as well, too, that I saw the other night, even though things kind of fell apart against Miami, but Miami's a tough out at home. They have not lost one playoff game at home, and I say that to today, knock on wood, they probably will wind up it probably will wind up being Boston winning today. But I like the Heat a lot in this series. I think that the Heat are the best team in basketball because the way that they play defense and the way that Jimmy Butler is already, you know, has that chip on his shoulder. And he's already he he's a prime time player. And that's what a lot of people had to understand. I think that we figured that out a few years ago in the NBA Finals. And I think that this year is showing out that Jimmy's became full circle. He's healthy. And he got a good team around him. He got a lot of guys that just do their job. So that's why the Heat, they're in a good spot because they got one of the better coaches left in the playoffs as well, too. So that's the thing that that gives the Celtics a little bit of a disadvantage. Even though they got a great coach, they still got to go against a great team and a great player in the Heat. But I think that they are more than prepared for this because they've been put in this situation very early in their careers. We can go all the way back to Game 7, LeBron. You know, what I mean, uh, everybody had the Celtics winning the game, period, point blank, with young Tatum, young young Jalen saying that this was a changing of the guard and these guys were tough and blah, 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 blah. They wound up laying an egg a little bit there in the last seven minutes of the game. LeBron did LeBron things. And then those guys, the guys that finally were supposed to show up, showed up. But they had to take – it took everything for them to beat them, and we got the idea, okay, the Celtics are going to be going to the finals consistently, but once again, they're a team that had to deal with injuries over the years, and they had to deal with, you know, guys coming and going, things like that. But I feel like they got Horford in a good place. They got a good bench with good young players there. They got Robert uh, Williams, who's a hell of a a center who doesn't get enough credit. So, overall, they have a really, really – Great team that's based on two superstars, but really one superstar in Tatum. But at the end of the day, Jalen Brown picks up the other side of it. But they're so good at what they do. Both guys can go for 30 for you on any night. And that's incredible when you can get 50 to 60 points from your top two players. And that is championship-worthy basketball right there, Mike.
1: Great thoughts. We're talking to Pop DiBiase, handicapper extraordinaire, Boxing analyst, can break down the NBA, horse racing, MLB, you name it. He can deliver. Pop, really quickly before we get to the commercial break, the Warriors are an interesting team to me because they still have their core guys from their championship run, but it isn't just them carrying the team anymore. In fact, I think it's pretty noticeable that Curry's maybe lost a step Let's just say um, even his free throws are suffering a little bit. He's going through for Curry. What is it? Maybe a little bit of a slump for anybody else. They'll take his percentages. But what what are your quick thoughts about the Warriors before we uh, engage in the commercial here?
2: Uh, I just think the Warriors is just going about their business. Is Curry is the fact that Curry doesn't have to do so much. So then, since he's not shooting so much, it doesn't look like he's doing so doing too much. You know what I mean? It does. It looks like he's low off. He's low down. I just think that. He's been, he's done it smart, and he's just playing within the offense now, and that's all he's doing now is just playing within the offense, and he's doing what he has to do, and you know he's gonna do his star stuff. But I just think that sometimes those little tricks that you do from before they work at they work for a certain period of time, but they're not gonna work forever. You know what I mean? Like can't keep throwing up a three point shot and then turning around and thinking that it's gonna go in. You know, like you got to at some point, you got to be kind of serious about the game, and I think that's why a lot of his a lot of his shots have went down because there's a lot of times when Curry throws up a lot of reckless shots, and a lot of those reckless shots aren't getting fouls called to him anymore. So that's why it looks like he's playing a little down, but he's always had this kind of streaky shooter uh, shooter. Uh, look to me. I know that he's hit tons of threes, but he's had to throw up a lot of threes. That's the whole thing. At the same time, so Curry's just a high volume shooter, and right now people are just starting to notice things because those same shots that used to get fouls for him, they're just not going in. He just doesn't get those enough free throws anymore. I think that you know when he was uh, in his at his absolute best when they were be, when they were becoming the Splash Brothers and things like that there's a lot of things that got a little covered up because you knocked down seven threes in a game, but then it's like you went seven for 22. Like, that's a lot of shots, Mike. You feel what I'm saying? So It is. We just, it's just something that we pay attention to now because you're somebody that we have to pay attention to. And that's what they say that you do best. So we got to take a, if we don't see it being perfect, then it's not going to give us the same idea that you are still that superior shooter. You get what I'm saying?
1: I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm going to actually ask you to hold to that thought because we're going to take a quick commercial timeout. And on the other side, I actually want to put you on the spot and ask you if you think that he's the greatest long range shooter of all time. Is he the best three point shooter? Save that. We'll be back. Right after this.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Want to play the ponies and win? This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to mike at the themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike
1: Abadir Show, we are with my man, J.B., better known as Pop DiBiase. And before we went into the commercial break, I'd pose the question to him. Is Steph Curry the best shooter of all time? And I think a lot of you guys got the tease before the break. Now, want to hear your answer, Pop. From your perspective, is he the greatest shooter of all time? He's set all sorts of records, and he's won championships. Is that enough to declare him the king of the long range?
2: No because i think that at the end of the day curry is a great shooter but they'll get mad at me when i say this but i think his father might have been a better shooter than him because his father played in a different nba where you got to come off the screen and roll you deal the defense the guys right in your chest it's it's different guys aren't playing zone they're not giving you five feet to th- throw the ball up things of that nature i think that The way he had to go about his three-point game was just crazy because the same way that Curry makes the fans stand in in, uh, San Francisco, in Oakland, is the same way his dad used to make people stand up in Charlotte as well, too. I remember those Sunday games uh, where they would feature Charlotte because, you know, they had Morning and Larry Johnson. They were, you know, they were selling jerseys. So, you know, if you're selling jerseys and they got you Saturday morning on – the NBA inside stuff, then they got to put you on NBC once in a while, right? So pretty much, you know, they, you know, you, you get out there. The one game that they did have, it was against the Knicks. And, um, you know, the guy who started the show was Dell Curry. So when his son came onto the scene and was so good in college and was hitting all his th- jumpers and three-pointers, I said, well, you know, his dad was a hell of a shooter, too. And if his dad played today's NBA, he would probably be the same type of player. But if you put Curry Steph in that NBA – then he would be just like his father. And his father was one of the top uh, three-point guys, but he wasn't the top three-point guy. There was guys like Tim Legler who were more spot up. You know, he pull up, he's a guard, he can pull up and just throw a three right in your face. You know what I mean? Guys like that who won the three-point contest who consistently were top uh, three-point shooters and things like that. The three-point shot is a lot more easy you're to throw up now because before that used to be a great chance for a defender to go ahead and play his best defense to catch a guy on the perimeter. You know what I mean? And make a guy really work, you know, but nowadays, since guys have got a little lazy, everybody wants to get their points. You're going to cheat off that a little bit. You're not going to put as much effort into trying to stop the, the, you know, probably the worst type of shot that you can take, even if you're a great three point shooter in a set, you know what I mean? But if the shot's wide open, it's wide open, so you'll take it, right? But if you got a couple feet off of you, then you'll take it as well, too. But I'm talking about in a day where they barely had enough breathing room. So it's just different. It's just differences in areas. Like, if you say about this area, best shooter, okay, Curry, no doubt about it. And I'm talking about before they put the zone into the NBA. I mean, uh, after they put the zone into the NBA, yes, you can put Curry up there as probably the top guy. But I think Klay Thompson might have some say in this as well, too. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, because he's a great shooter. And I just really think Larry Bird, to me, is probably the greatest shooter of all time. Because you got to understand that the elements that Larry used to shoot the ball in and then come into the NBA and be able to do what he did. You know what I mean? and Just easily. And then we just all go back to the perfect thirty. You know, the guy comes in the room and says that I'm going to beat you, 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 and you. And the guy drank a six-pack of uh, Bud before he walked out there, too, goes out there and annihilates the field. So that's why I say that, you know, we can say greatest shooter when you say breaking records is for Curry. But when it says if I got to play a game of horse, I think that I'm going to have Bird, and I think Bird will win that. Wow. Hot take there, man. Yeah, I like it. hot take. I might even Uh, take Mark Price over him, dude. I might even take Steve Kerr over him.
1: Well, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of three-point percentage those guys would have today if they played in today's world.
2: That's what I'd like to see. I think Kerr is is actually possibly an all-star. Kerr would be a poor man's Tyler Hero. (laughs) Wow. You know what I mean? Like, Tyler Hero is really good because he's athletic. But in all in all, though, all in all though you know he, he, guys like Steve could really shoot you know so you know and so you know it is what it is but it's just the way that the game is played nowadays so you're gonna always try to call him the greatest shooter in my opinion I think that a lot of players that have came into the league the last five or six years have created themselves really good three-point shots and I think that it's a good way to go to, but at the end of the day, it's going to be, it's always style, style, of matchups, make fights, right? And I think the NBA still can play, will have to still adapt to whatever that team is good at doing. They don't need to, everybody doesn't need to adapt to doing the same thing, because then the game is not exciting anymore.
1: I completely agree with what you're saying, by the way, and it's interesting, because it's, it's kind of hard to compare eras in the sense that each era has a different set of rules, um, trends, etc. But t- to me, sometimes it's almost as ridiculous as like, you remember that power hitter in baseball, Adam Dunn, or even yes. like more recently, like Marcus Simeon, right? right? So it would be like somebody saying uh, those guys are more prolific home run hitters than Reggie Jackson because they have more 40 home run seasons. It's like, well, come on, man, give me a break. They played in different eras, right? Back well, then, it wasn't like home run or nothing like, like it is today. So you can't even compare Adam Dunn because he had a bunch of 40 home run seasons batting 200 to somebody that's as prolific as Reggie or any right. of the power hitters over the years. And you could kind of apply the same logic in basketball, too. It's really tough to compare these statistical accomplishments when, like you said, you know, the implementation of the zone and allowing guys to be able to uh, play this brand of basketball. Uh, but the interesting thing to me, though, is I remember a bunch of, like, 150 to 148-point games, you know, massive scoring back then. So if if the league was trying to revitalize scoring, why was there more scoring back then than there is today still? <laughs> Right. So, so why why did they score why did they score more in yesteryear than today?
2: Well, you know, just because I'm gonna tell you like this, lazy defense, it's just lazy basketball in general. They let you be lazy on defense, so you get a little lazy on offense, so you wind up having games like that. But I don't know though, Mike, because I've looked at a lot of games from back in the day, and the game be finishing up seventy nine to seventy six and eighty five to eighty seven and things of that nature in the NBA, and I don't see a lot of games finishing up like that nowadays.
1: Those are like Pistons and the Knicks, huh?
2: Yeah, because they didn't even have this. I don't even think they used to have the over and under as high as they do now. Over and under used to be like maybe 180, you know, a high one, you know? Like, so, And today, it, it, if you get it at 195, that means that, oh, oh God, that means that they're not going to score. Or 206, oh, oh God, I got to take it. You know what I mean? So, you know, you see those low, you see those low numbers, you think you might be able to hit it, you know?
1: Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, maybe, but, there's, maybe but, a perception but you, I don't thing Like, you're like there's
2: a lot of bad teams in the NBA because the bottom half of the NBA is bad. Like, the the worst, say, six teams in the league were all really bad offensively, like, really bad offensively. Like, they would have moments of times where they were really good, but then they would have most times where they were really bad.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is – the NBA is probably one sport that shouldn't have expanded the number of teams. Cause I think you'd have a, a much better brand of basketball. Now I think what the league was probably thinking is now that it's become much more of a global game, we'll be able to put together these deep rosters because now we got guys coming in from Asia and from uh, Lithuania and Germany and places like that. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm with you. I think the bottom tier in the NBA is weaker than it's ever been. Um, there may be four too many teams in the league, but we're left with four teams, four finalists. You kind of alluded to the fact that you favored Miami over the Celtics. Who do you got in this Warriors-Dallas matchup?
2: You know what, you want to dream big and say, man, you want to see the Mavericks do it all, man. You want to see, we just got done watching Winning Time. You want to see Luca maybe pull off some, some real Luca magic. Look like he Magic Johnson and somebody taking his boys to the, all the way to the NBA Finals and things like that. But it's just not going to happen. They do got a group that I do like a lot, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Breston. Those guys are great basketball players. They got rid of KP, a guy who was kind of a hold-up for that team as well. You know, what I mean, he did It didn't work out the way that they wanted to. They was thinking about Nash and Nowitzki. Nash now and Nowitzki cannot be duplicated, just like Kobe and Shaq can't be duplicated. You know, we got to stop trying to do these things. So pretty much, you know, because those guys, yeah, people had to really understand that Nash and Nowitzki came there. They were together, and they weren't in the league that long. And they were both foreigners. They were both, and they were that they, they were rare. Foreigners were not in the NBA like that. So they had to stick together. They became great friends. Kobe and Shaq, they came at the same exact time. There was Jerry West made sure those two were were in unison with each other. So pretty much with this, with the way that things work out nowadays, it's like this. I feel like, like you said earlier, Mike, when you have the type of chemistry that the Warriors have, this is easy work for them getting through the Western Conference playoffs. It really is. The, the real challenge for them is the NBA finals. Let's keep it real because that's where they're going to get their That's where they're going to get their challenge at. That's where they're going to have to really work at. That's where they're going to really have to do what they have to do to get where they have to get to. You know what I mean? Because this right here is going to be a tough series. It is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a series that's going to favor, um, you know, the Mavericks in any sense because the Mavericks are still a puppy here and they still learn it. And that's the whole thing. Jason Kidd, phenomenal coach. Uh, to two years removed from a championship as an assistant coach with the Lakers. And, you know, he did, he was a part of Dallas' team when they did win a championship. But what he did was he showed what they're building now. You know what I mean? with Now they have a great coach in Kid. Kidd has a great team in the Mavs. They're about a player away from being where Luka really needs to be. Like a real PTP or not. Somebody like who was already damaged goods by the time he got there the guy had to split his kneecap open he's never been the same player since and all it was was new york getting rid of a guy before they had to pay him so pretty much you know that was more of a hype than anything and i think that luca has got somebody in the and he got somebody in brunston and he got somebody in finney as well too but i think he needs a little bit more reggie bullock good player uh, you know, Wes Matthews, uh decent player. He, he didn't do too well with the Lakers. But I think that they need that that other guy, that guy that can step in and say, okay, Lucas kind of, Lucas out tonight. I can get 40. You know what I mean? And that guy can do what he has to do. And I think that will come into the power forward center position where they, a guy can be dominant on the boards as well. So I think that they need a guy that's uh, real good two-way player and that's what will put Dallas over the top but for right now they just got to deal with the the, with the with the OGs as you as you like to say they're at that point now to where they're like the Detroit Pistons when they had Chauncey and Ben Wallace and Rip Hamilton and um you know all those and all those great players that they had on uh the the Pistons then they're like the Lakers when they you know when they had Shaq and Kobe and you know, Derek Fisher and all these all these great players that win championships. Same thing like when you think about the Spurs, you know what I mean? It, they're in the same group. You know what I mean? The Warriors have won championships and the four and the three guys that the three amigos that were drafted to be there are the ones that are still there. Even though Iggy had to move a couple places before he came back, Iguodala is probably the biggest piece to the puzzle that anybody is because when, once Iguodala got there, that's when the real winning started. So him coming back has made it, made them even more confident in what they can do. So I think that the Warriors already knew it didn't matter what seed they were going to be in the top four, That they were going to be able to make some noise, make some moves, and do what they had to do. And I think that they one big challenge they got over, and that was going to be that was the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies, to me, were a better team overall. They just didn't. They just John Morant got hurt at the worst possible time, and that really just took the air out of that team. Even though they had a great Game Five win, and you just knew that Game Six was going to be all bad for them. But if they had John Morant. Then they could have won in uh, in San Francisco. Um, they would have split in San Francisco, and they possibly would have probably won won the series in six. To be honest with you, because there was there was nothing that they could really do with John Morant in that series until his his knee got hurt. So that's what that's my two cents on that. I think the Warriors will have themselves a good a good little little workout before the finals and whoever they play in the Eastern Conference is going to bring their absolute A game to them, and the Warriors are going to have to be ready because they keep saying the champion's coming out the West. I think the champion's coming out the East.
1: I kind of agree with you. I think those two teams in in the East might be tougher overall and can clamp down defensively um, better than the two teams in the West. So I think Mm -hmm. that'll – you know, either way, I don't – you know, some years you're kind of like, man – MLB or NBA hopes that they don't get this matchup in the finals because that would be devastating for the ratings or whatever. I think any combination that you get here works out for the NBA, right? I don't think there's like a combo like Dallas and and Miami. Well, there's a storyline, repeat of the finals uh, they've met before there. How about Celtics and the Warriors? That would be cool to see, right? I mean, any, any matchup is good, right?
2: Right, because it doesn't matter because they've already failed. The the idea was Lakers Brooklyn. That's what the idea was. Lakers Brooklyn, so they could sell to Kyrie, so they could sell to K D, so they can sell to A D, so they can sell to LeBron, so they can sell all the storylines that go across that make it real fun on social media for people. This is a real bad this is a real basketball playoff season. You know what I mean? This isn't about the the characters this is actually about the teams that's why i think it's kind of a breath of fresh air and it started last season with the Suns and the bucks quietly even though it didn't get the ratings that they wanted it to get by the time the series was over everybody was watching everybody's by the time the series was was getting to right where it needed to get to everybody was watching so yeah, it was very it, compelling it, for sure it's, yeah, no. it's a championship series. People are going to watch. It doesn't matter. Even though I didn't watch the World Series last year, I'll keep it honest, because I was that devastated over my Dodgers.
1: <laughs> no surprise there. I know you bleed Dodger blue. In fact, let's talk about the Dodgers in a moment here. Let's take our final commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Dodgers. And I'll also give you guys my Preakness picks out the door here. Stay with us. We will be right back.
0: today's Today's Hot Topics.
1: Final segment here on this week's show. I promised you guys some Preakness picks. I'll give it to you in a moment here. Let's quickly turn our attention to baseball in the National League West. Been a pretty good division so far, hasn't it?
2: Yes, I'm looking at the stats right now. And if you look at the top nine teams, you know, you got three teams in wild card, and you got the teams outside of it. It looks like all six six out of the nine teams – that are that are available for those spots. You know what I mean? Top top nine spots, you know, is are in the, the West, Mike. This is incredible. And the funniest thing about it is the Dodgers have been on a tour at pace and there was times where the Padres were kind of lagging it a little bit, but the Dodgers just ran into a little bit of a cold street losing four out of five after it. but that was before that was before this four, recent four game sweep. They're only a game and a half up on the Padres. So this this little Civil War between the Dodgers Padres and Giants continues but it looks like the Giants are 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 three games back right now but my surprise to this is that the Rockies are playing decent baseball right now and the Diamondbacks are light years better than what they were last season Diamondbacks I think have won five games at this point last year now this year even though they just got swept by the Dodgers they did go into the series 18 and 17 on a year
1: yeah they've been getting some good pitching too I mean Guys like right. Merrill Kelly, who were having tough time, times getting outs last year, have been pretty dominant this year. It's kind of crazy.
2: Right. And that's, and that's just growth and maturation because we both know that Arizona's in a in – a, they're building their team. They're not doing – they're not worried about bringing any stars or anything of that nature. They're waiting until they get that right group up there. Then they'll start making some moves. It's kind of in a sense of what the Houston Astros did for a long time. Where the Astros did this five, six, seven seasons created a great minor league system and brought up and had all these players ready to roll. Tampa Bay Rays have done the same thing as well too. And Arizona just kind of understands what their market is, so that's why they're doing it like that. And you know the Rockies, you know the Rockies are always going to have somebody who can hit. And I think that a lot of people have to understand that a lot of guys are really good in Denver because of how that altitude works. You know, Ari- Ariando didn't do what I thought he was going to do in St. Louis. He, he did fine, but I thought he was going to be a lot better than that. You know, and then, you know, with Tula Whiskey was literally out the league two years later. You know what I mean? After he had the big deal in the Toronto and blah, 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 blah. blah. To Lewitsky was already out of the league. He already was a uh, uh, hurt player. And, you know, story looks decent with the the Red Sox and everything like that. But you know what? How, how the Rockies are. The Rockies always will have hitting. It's just whenever they can get some pitching, they could be the most dangerous team in the NL West. And it, we all know this. We all know this as well. You know that, Mike. But they have never shored up. They can never shore up their pitching. It just is not possible. And I don't know why, but – uh, I guess in another year or two or three or so, they might surprise all of us and wind up being down there at the, being there. But at this point right now, I think the Rockies will probably just be like with the Mariners were. They'll figure out a way to win like at least 65 to 70 games this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you made so many good points there. I want to go back to the top three for a moment. Right, the you have to
2: talk about the bottom dwellers for a bump. They they don't get enough love. Well, yeah, because love, they're worthy you know, of it. that much. I mean, well, they know, deserve they it a little love, bit, but they don't, they just don't get no love. Period. You know, then we got we can talk about the California teams all day, Mike. You know that. Well,
1: you, you, they're they're worthy of discussion because they're in the toughest division and they're hanging in there, which is right. a lot more than most people would would have realized or or thought of or predicted going into this season. And I think now the top three teams have an opportunity ahead of themselves here, with Max Scherzer going down. I don't know if you saw that, but he's going to be out for probably close to two months. Right. And they already lost Tyler McGill, Jacob DeGrom. I I don't know if if the Mets have enough arms to overcome that.
2: And they got most wins in the National League right now. Second most wins in the league, too. 26 wins. Yankees got 28. So so
1: I I think this opens the door for those three teams in NL West. Opens the door for the Phillies or the Braves or... Whoever else thinks that they can compete in that division, well, this is the time to do so now when their ace is out. I think the Mets are going to have a tough time uh, having at it here. The Dodgers have shown me a couple of things this year that I didn't think were possible. Number one, they're kind of having defensive slumps, especially maybe Gavin Lux, but I don't mean to be overly critical, but they're making a lot more errors at least that's what it seems like to me. Um, and then the other thing is that it's pretty obvious to me that Mookie is more on track this year than he was last year. I think that sets up for a monster season for him. What do you? What are your thoughts?
2: I think Mookie's gonna be. I think Mookie's gonna be a okay. If Mookie's if Mookie's a one, the team is a one. I think the guy that we need to look at who's been better this year is Bellinger, and I think that is because of the Freddie Freeman effect as well, too, coming on in and being a good veteran, being a good guy. And um, I think that Freddie Freeman has been a real good impact on the Dodgers this year as well too. So he takes a little pressure off of uh, Mookie. Gets you know the big name star coming in, everything like that. Now everybody can be like, oh Freddie from the Valley, da 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 da. You know when Mookie came in, everybody put a lot of pressure on Mookie, but Mookie answered the bell the first season. Last season, Mookie had some uh, injuries all throughout the season. He was never truly hundred percent healthy, but he, he did what he had to do. But when you got a healthy, really good mookie Betts, you got the you have one of the better teams in baseball and this has shown up over the last five seasons, either in Boston or in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. The guy's the guy's really a winner. I, I heard yeah. some kind of stat; It was almost unbelievable. It was it was so good. I think it was something like when he has an RBI in the game, I think the Dodgers win like ninety eight percent of the time. I mean that just mind-boggling in baseball. 90% of anything is huge, but in baseball that's pretty monstrous. So the Dodgers go, they live and die kind of with with Mookie Betts and so far so good for them. I think it'll continue. I think he's going to have a monster year and we haven't seen that streak yet from Freeman where he hits, you know, five home runs in 3 days and and bats 400 for like a 2-week period or something. So I think as as the weather warms up, I think so will the Dodgers hitting. And as long as they're getting that good pitching, I'm especially impressed with Tony Gonsolin. I think he's kind of really finding himself. He's he's done a really underrated job with the Dodgers.
2: Right. And I'm just going to say one thing. I know I'm retreating back to the Mets, but I like the Mets' lead this year. Seven okay. games up. Okay. I think the Mets are okay because the Phillies should be better than this right now.
1: Well, their defense kind of stinks too.
2: Right, because I'm looking at the record right now, and I'm like... The Mets have uh, some good. The Mets got the most room out of everybody in uh, baseball right now, and with the way that the Braves aren't showing up this year, I think it'll be all right for the uh, Mets. The Mets are a good road team this year, from what I'm seeing, and that's yeah, where really they have it. they problems at is on the road because we all know that they they don't play great at home, but they figure out ways to get sweeps, you know, once a month, but. On the road though, that's the that's the key to me, Mike. Is that if you're really good on the road, and that's why the Padres are still in the race. They got the best road record in uh the National League, fourteen and seven. So, you know, you look at those things. This is why you're still in the race. Yeah, that's why you're still in the race. You know, so pretty much. But it's still early though, because we we always got to remember the Nationals. Nationals was the last place team in the middle of May and the top of June. And then next thing you know, they're playing in the wild card game. Next thing you know, they're playing in the first round. Next thing you know, they're playing in the, uh. CS, so, yeah, next thing you know, they win in the World Series. So, you know, you can't count these teams out in mid-May, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Or late May or wherever we, we feel where we're at right now. But I think the Dodgers are in a good place, even though they still got to just keep kicking down the Padres. But it's all good, though. The Dodgers know what they signed up for.
1: Well, what do you think happens when Tatis comes back?
2: Uh, Tatis is going to take a while to get back into being that monster that he that he is. Because that's a tricky injury right there. Shoulder injury and everything like that. And I think that Tatis is is, is rebellious style. Is going to get tailored back a little bit. To save him. You know what I mean? Because they're already like, okay, we're going to put him in the outfield. You know what I mean? And I thought all the excitement with him came from him playing shortstop. and Him being able to do all those cool moves. And all all that extra stuff that he's doing. But I think that that little sizzle and flair is not built for a long MLB career. So if he wants to be in the league for a long time, he's going to have to start playing the traditional way. And I, don't, I know they don't want him to do that, but I think that's what you got to do to stick around.
1: Yeah, I think you're right, because maybe the most uh, exciting player in the American League, young player, Byron Buxton, with the Minnesota mm-hmm. Twins, they're kind of doing the same thing with him, which is trying to figure out how to manage his play so that we can get full seasons out of the guy and here's the funny thing about it though you're trying to get a full season out of the guy so what's the twin solution? we're going to give him every third day off <laughs> so to try to get a full season out of him you're going to wipe away a third of his season. How much sense does that make?
2: right and I just, and I'm telling am I asking myself so when the team gets really good you're still going to have that option and that, but but there are right now they're up three games in a uh, central it must yeah. be working. And they're they're pretty good at home. But, see, at the end of the day, the Central is such a fickle division. Like, you don't want to be the team that's up in mid-May. We saw who was up in mid-May last year. They wound up faltering pretty quickly. Well, actually, the White Sox were up all season. Let me take that back. You know what I mean? I think they might be in good shape here. The Twins, the only team that they might need to worry about is the White Sox because the Guardians are still trying to deal with getting used to the name right now, in my opinion.
1: They sure are. And plus, they still haven't got Bieber or Plesak back on track yet. So those guys have had season-long slumps so far early in the year. But let's see if they get back on track. If they do, they may have a say in that division. But if they keep stinking up the joint, the Guardians don't have much of a chance to compete in that division. Let's quickly go to the AL West because I think the Astros were kind of handed that division – before the season started, but the angels kind of, uh, have, have, I know they're the little stepbrother of the Dodgers when it comes to LA baseball, but they're kind of having a, a say when it comes to the AL West race, not, not so fast with the Astros, right?
2: I think the angels are on course right now. The angels are right where they want to be at. This is where you want to be at at this time of the year. Angels don't have anybody pressing on them in the third place spot. All they got to do is just keep keep competing. And I think that they can outlast the Astros this year, to be honest with you, because you can't keep spending up all this money on all these top free agents and not going anywhere with it. So I really do truly feel that the Angels are on course right now. Mike Trout is having another great season as well. Rendon is, is, is stepping it up. And then they got pitching as well, too. mirrors did pretty good the other day. And, you know, having guard is huge, in my opinion. Uh, and when we get down the stretch, you know, Otani, Sinigard, if you can keep Detmers still uh, clean, because it doesn't matter. Sometimes we get a no hitter. Sometimes guys ain't never the same after they get a no hitter. So pretty much uh, Detmers, he, he got his no hitter. I think that it's going to come down to how well the closure is going to be. You know, when the when the angels are in close games, will this guy be able to get you 25 saves that way?
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. That's a good analysis. we got to wrap the show. I did promise that I would give out a couple of Preakness picks before we wrap here. So uh, I know you haven't had a chance to dig into the PPs yet. Uh, Go ahead, Mikey. Uh, it's, your,
2: it's, your, it's your world for that. I don't want to give nobody no bad advice. I'll be like, Sprinkles and Cream, and it would be like, that was, <laughs> That worse doesn't exist, Pop.
1: Secret Oath is my pick. I think it's the exact uh, is, is going to be Secret Oath, Early Voting, Keep Something in Mind, the runner-up from the Kentucky Derby has only won once out of the last 22 years. So cross the line through Epicenter. I'm going with secret oath, early voting as my exacta. That is all the time that we have. Thank you so much, Pop. We're going to have to do this again real soon. Thank you to all the listeners out there. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. We will see you same time, same place
0: next week.